I'm Seattle Times political reporter Jim Bruner. And I'm Seattle Times City Hall reporter Dan Beekman. Let's talk politics. Welcome to episode 98 of The Overcast, the Seattle Times politics and news podcast. This week, we're talking to Seattle Times transportation reporter David Gutman about the Viadum or Congestageddon or whatever you want to call it, the big shutdown of the Alaskan Way Viaduct, which will be followed by its demolition and the opening of the new replacement tunnel under downtown. David, let's start with the basics. What is going on? When is it happening? And how long is it going to happen for? The viaduct is closing forever on Friday, this Friday, three days from now at 10 o'clock p.m., um, there will be no State Route 99 through downtown Seattle for about three weeks. Three weeks after the viaduct closes, the new Highway 99 tunnel, um, about two decades in the making, will open. Uh, but that three weeks are going to be very bad for for traffic and for getting around Seattle and the whole Seattle region. And you, you and your colleagues at Seattle Times Traffic Lab have been all over this. Mike Lindblom with the encyclopedic and, and almanac uh, level knowledge of all things transportation. Michelle Bruckman, done, you've done a great job. So what, what are, you know, what are officials kind of telling people to, to get ready for? Are they, um, you know, for example, I, I imagine they're urging people try not to drive for a few weeks or stay home or telecommute. What's the message? Officials would very much like you not to drive alone. Uh, through downtown Seattle and, you know, in other places as well. Uh, if you can work from home, that's ideal. It takes a trip off the road. They would like you to use public transit, although, you know, our buses and Link Light Rail are already operating close to their capacity. There will be a few more buses on the streets during this stretch, but not a huge amount. Uh, there will not be more light rail trains running than normal. They would like you to shift your work hours if possible. If instead of working 9 to 5, you can work... 11 to 7, or you can work 7 to 3, or, or something like that. That would help a little bit. Although, you know, the morning rush hour is is going to be bad, and it's going to stretch a while. It's going to, you know, tra- streets are going to start getting congested probably around 5.30, and that's going to last probably through 9.30 or so. And this is going to impact uh, even roads and people who, well, people who don't usually use the Alaskan Way Viaduct, uh, who don't usually make that part of their commute. Yeah, absolutely. Um, If you drive I-5, there are going to be a lot more cars on I-5 than there normally are. If you drive 405, there are going to be more cars on 405 than there normally are. Uh, You know, even connections like I-90 are going to get clogged up as, you know, the entrances get jammed up around Seattle. In 2016, we had a nine-day viaduct closure so that Bertha, the the tunnel boring drill, could pass under um, the viaduct. And during that closure... Federal Way to Seattle trips on I-5 were 15 minutes longer than normal. Speeds on I-405 and Renton slowed down to 19 miles an hour in the morning. Uh, it's a, it's definitely a regional uh, issue, not just a downtown Seattle issue. I kind of remember that previous shutdown being less than advertised in terms of the effect. Was it were people just able to switch up their habits, or was it? Am I misremembering? Was it really awful? I think you're. Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. You're doing a little bit of misremembering. I mean, pe- people's commutes got slower. You know, they were 15 to 20 minutes slower. Now, is that you know the end of the world? Is that via doom? Maybe not. Uh, part of it is that people listen to the transportation planners and do try and change their habits. Part of it is that 
if people have one really bad commute and, you know, it takes twice as long as it normally does, they start to change their habits, you know, even if they weren't intending on listening. You're you're only going to be willing to sit in crippling congestion for so long before you do something different. You mentioned officials encouraging more people to use transit. What about for people who are close enough to work, for example, walking and biking? Is that something that that officials are emphasizing or not so much uh, because it's bad weather and they don't expect people to do it? Well, they would love you to walk and bike. If you can walk and bike, by all means, do it. Um, you know, it's we don't live in, in Toronto. We don't live in Ontario. You, you can walk. It's not so cold out. Uh, biking in the rain, you know, I'm a, I'm a sometimes biker, but I'm, I'm pretty fair weather. So I'm not big on biking in January, but by all means do it if you can. But no, there are not, um, there are not a lot of special plans or, or changes being made to accommodate more walking and biking. I mean, uh, you know, a long planned fourth Avenue bike lane, uh, has been pushed back and, and won't be in operation, you know, for years, much less the next few weeks. I don't think they expect biking to take up much of the much of the slack over the next three weeks is there any chance that this will take longer than three weeks or have they said that no matter what we will open this tunnel on that date and there's no chance of not doing that that's a good question i think there's always a chance although i think they're pretty confident it's going to take about three weeks and well this is a podcast so you can't see me doing air quotes but i'm doing air quotes around (laughs) about three weeks um what they have to do is they have to make the the ramps to access the tunnel on both the north and south end. So up in South Lake Union and down in Soto, and they can't do that while Highway 99 is open because they need to cross lanes and stuff. And so once those ramps are ready, they will open the tunnel and uh, and hopefully we'll be good to go. And will, will there be tolls? immediately on the tunnel no uh there will be tolls eventually but it will be toll free probably until sometime around summer 2019 which is summer of this year but they want people to get used to driving the tunnel and so there won't be tolls initially once there are tolls uh, they'll range from a dollar to two dollars and fifty cents i believe it might be 225 but basically during overnight hours it'll be a dollar and then during prime you know prime commuting hours it will be two dollars and either 25 cents or two dollars and 50 cents and that'll be just like if you're already paying the good to go tolls on 520 you can the same transponder on on the vehicle or will work correct same transponder no toll booths it'll be entirely through transponders get a good to go If you don't get a good to go, you'll get a bill in the mail and be charged an extra $2 above the cost of the toll. I saw, um, and we'll get into some of the politics around this tunnel project, uh, basically right now, I think. But uh, more more recently, I saw State Senator Tim Sheldon, who represents basically sort of Mason County. He's from Potlatch. He's a uh, ostensible Democrat, but he's basically part of the Republican caucus in the state Senate. He's put in a bill that would stop Seattle from imposing tolls. I can't actually remember whether that bill would it, you know, sort of affect this project because I think those are state tolls. But what do you know about that? I, I I take this as kind of a hero bill that probably won't pass in Olympia. But you know, have you seen a backlash? Well, you're right. I think it probably won't pass in Olympia. Um, as you said, Sheldon's essentially a Republican, even though he's a Democrat in name, but he caucuses with the Republicans and but Democrats control. Uh, all the chambers of of power in Olympia. Uh, This would not affect tunnel tolls. In fact, I spoke with Sheldon yesterday. He said he's he's in favor of tolls on the tunnel. He's in favor of tolls on the Tacoma Narrow Bridge. What he wants to stop is something that is still, 
years in the future, if it ever happens, which is a plan announced last spring by by Mayor Jenny Durkin that would uh, be kind of widespread tolling or congestion pricing in downtown Seattle. So essentially, you know, draw a circle around maybe downtown in South Lake Union. And if you enter that circle, you get charged a toll. And, and the mayor announced that she would like to look at that, like to look at doing that as a way, one, to fight traffic congestion and two, to reduce carbon emissions. But uh, but Sheldon's bill would basically say no city can do tolling without approval of the state legislature. And it's kind of interesting, just really quickly on that, that uh, it's always odd to me, I guess, when somebody from not Seattle says, let's stop Seattle from doing something. But there's been a history of that in the legislature. Anyway, we'll see where that goes. Well, sure. And yeah, lots of folks are, you know, for local control of things, as long as local control of things is kind of the way they want to see what what Sheldon told me yesterday is, is, you know, he visits Seattle, he comes to Seattle to go to the doctor or to do various things. And well, he wouldn't get a vote on this. So why should Seattle be able to pass policies that affect him outside Seattle? Now, I don't know. But but that was his case yesterday. Well, regardless of whether his bill passes or not, congestion pricing could be in Seattle, downtown Seattle could be a political fight of the future. But in terms of political fights of the past that are relevant, you had a good story recently uh, in the paper and online about sort of the the great uh, Alaskan Way viaduct replacement tunnel fight revisited. And tell us what your sort of lead was on that story. I thought it was a good one. Oh, thanks, Dan. Um, the lead was, well, it's been 10 years since Governor Christine Gregoire said, okay, stop it, we're building a tunnel, because in the nearly 10 years before that, we had been fighting over how to replace the Alaskan Way Viaduct. This all started, the Alaskan Way Viaduct has to come down because it is not earthquake safe. If there's a big earthquake, it's going to collapse, and it's going to be catastrophic. So basically, starting in 2001, we fought for nearly 10 years about what should we do to replace the viaduct? Um, it cost $300 million just for engineering and process on that fight. And basically, so so in 2009, Gregoire chose the tunnel. And since then, um, as anyone who's lived here knows, Seattle has changed a lot. We have many more people. We have many more jobs. Things are way more expensive. Traffic is much worse. Uh, we're also using a lot more transit. We're riding more buses and more trains than we ever used to. And with all those changes, you know, would you, do you think anything that's happened would affect what people argued back then about whether we should have a tunnel or whether we should have a viaduct or whether we should have nothing and just hope that all those people using the viaduct can shift their habits to public transit? And basically, no one, no one's mind has changed. Right. Yeah, right. You're, kind of the way you started the story was everything has changed in Seattle in the last decade, you know, in terms of growth, Amazon, more people, transit, everything. The only thing that hasn't changed is what Christine Gregoire and Mike McGinn think about the Alaskan Way viaduct replacement. Yeah, that was much more succinct than I just was. So thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, back then, Mike McGinn, who basically got elected mayor on his opposition to the tunnel, was saying, uh, look, you know, this is going to be a tunnel that will move cars and trucks. Climate change is happening. We need to do something about it. Uh, people want to use transit. People want to live, you know, in big cities. We don't need to replace this. Uh, we can spend, you know, half the money, you know, making improvements to I-5, making improvements to Alaskan Way, and investing in transit, and we won't miss the downtown highway. The view that ultimately prevailed was Christine Gregoire's, which was 
we know we need to replace this highway. Um, a lot of the options that were discussed would be a disaster for downtown businesses. Making a, building a new viaduct or building a shallow tunnel would have shut down the waterfront for close to a decade, probably would have put all of those waterfront businesses out of business. And yeah, ultimately it was a debate about how people and goods should get around Seattle. The debate's obviously over, but I mean, for a long time, as you said, I mean, a lot of, you know, we were living through this and it was, uh, it, it became a, a symbol for a lot of people for a long time, I think, of the Seattle process where, you know, you can't make a decision and you're, you're relitigating and refighting and there, there were multiple public votes before finally this got going. And then even as we should remind people as the tunnel project, the tunnel was being built, there were questions on whether there was a lot of doomsaying for a long time questions on, oh, no, you know, the, the the boring machine, Bertha, got stuck. There were cost overruns, right? So it wasn't the best, maybe the best run public works project, but these things, mega projects, always seem to have cost overruns. So maybe one small bright side, at least they got the tunnel built, right? The tunnel's built. The tunnel's built. Praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> yeah, Bertha, Bertha hit a... Bertha, who was the giant tunnel boring machine, which at the time that Bertha began was the largest tunnel boring, the largest drill period in the history of the world, hit a pipe below downtown Seattle. One metal pipe, which we didn't know was there. They should have known was there. Somebody didn't know was there. Maybe people didn't know they were there. That is the subject of... uh, That's what they're fighting about in court now. Yeah, that is the subject of high stakes litigation right now. But anyways, it hit that one pipe and stalled for two years. They had to big a big 120 foot hole above Bertha so that they could lift her up and get down there and and fix the drivetrain which overheated after it hit the pipe and then there were sinkholes appearing in you know Pioneer Square and things like that there were sinkholes Governor Inslee shut down Bertha for six months while after it looked like a sinkhole was developing um yeah the original contract for Seattle Tunnel Tunnel Partners, which is the the company that basically is overseeing Bertha, was for about $1.44 billion. We are now haggling over $600 million in overruns that basically, you know, a lot of it comes down to is who knew that pipe was there? Should people have been told about the pipe? What's the deal with the pipe? Um, But the tunnel's built. Come February, people will be driving in it. But part of what's interesting, right, is that both McGinn and former Governor Gregoire, they're both saying that, look, uh, what's happened is proof that I was right, that Gregoire is saying the tunnel is built. People will be driving on it. Things things are great. We'll get that, that traffic moving under downtown. And McGinn is saying... Look, the reason why the you know the city the city's economy has boomed in recent years and uh, uh, why Seattle is growing isn't because we have such a great Highway 99 on, on the waterfront. It's because of the other things that we have, and we shouldn't have worried about this. Yeah, and I think there is a case to be made that they are both right. Um, McGinn was basically saying we need to stop building this hugely expensive infrastructure for cars. And back then, when we were, you know, writing plans for the tunnel, the planners predicted that by 2015, one third of commuters to downtown Seattle would take the bus or take public transit. And that by 2030, a full 40 percent of commuters to downtown Seattle would be taking public transit. We blew those predictions out of that water. We're already basically at half, 50 percent of commuters to downtown Seattle use public transit. So... For McGinn's point, we have adapted to public taking public transit much faster than we anticipated back when we were having the tunnel debate. To Governor Gregoire's point, we are a much bigger city than we were back then. 
we don't just move people. We also need to move goods. We don't just move people to downtown Seattle. We also need to move people through the city and past the city. And highway or Interstate 5 is already at capacity. Anyone who drives I-5 knows how clogged it would be. Um, we can't, her point was, we can't just get rid of the other through way through the city. And this tunnel really, uh, can you talk just a bit more about what it will look like and where the endpoints, exit and entry points will be? Because this is more of a like a throughput through through the downtown than it is, you know, where, you, you know, you can't get off on like a James Street exit or something like you can off I-5. It's certainly a throughput. So uh, the tunnel, w- the tunnel entrance on the north end will be right around Republican Street on Aurora. So just north of Denny Way, you'll go a little less than two miles underneath downtown Seattle and come out of the tunnel right around the stadiums in, in Soto. Uh, right now, there are downtown a couple of downtown exits on on the viaduct there will not i I don't mean to confuse you there are no exits on the tunnel there are no downtown exits on the tunnel there will not be it's not like you know hey we want a downtown exit we can decide on that later no it's 200 feet beneath downtown seattle it would uh not be possible at a downtown exit so so you're basically going from south lake union to soto through the tunnel um, if you want to get to downtown, you can circle back. Okay. And let's uh, sort of j- jump back to the present here. Enough uh, rehashing the past and talk about the politics of now. For uh, Mayor Jenny Durkin's administration, the via doom or not via doom, depending on what happens and how it goes, is a pretty big deal politically and, and just governmentally. And she's made a couple of appointments recently ahead of this. Interesting timing there. Yeah. Um, so traffic is going to be bad. You know, the mayor has said, look, it's going to be bad. This isn't my fault. And she's mostly right. You know, this was a process a decade in the making. She took office a year ago. Uh, we do, you know, the engineers and construction crews do need a short few weeks stretch to attach the ramps. On the other hand, she's the one in charge. And I'm not sure that the public is that interested in hearing that, you know, this was a process that started 10 years ago. So if things are really much worse than expected or really terrible, you know, she's going to have fingers pointed at her. Yeah, she just appointed a new director of the Seattle Department of Transportation, a guy from Washington, D.C. named Sam Zimbabwe. He has gotten high praise from a bunch of his former co-workers in D.C. He's uh, he's a, a multimodal guy by his own description. He's focused a lot on transit projects and, you know, improving streets for pedestrians and cyclists. He won't take office for we're not quite sure yet. A, a couple weeks. He needs to be confirmed by the city council first. So he's not really going to be in charge of this this stretch, right? Right. He. I mean, he. You know, he was uh, appointed at the end of December. They said he would be in. You know, he has to move across the country. He has to move his family. Uh, they said he'd be in Seattle sometime mid January. Uh, by that time, the viaduct's going to be shut down. We will be deep in the midst of uh, via doom or the Seattle squeeze or the Jenny jam, whatever you want to call it. Um, the mayor hopes it's not. The mayor ca- would very that. much like you not to call it the Jenny jam. So in the interim, well, not in the, so what we, the guy we've got here right now is one of the other finalists to be SDOT director is a retired air force general named Mike Worden. And the mayor appointed him to a new position uh, to be the director of citywide mobility operations how that differs from SDOT director, what exactly that means, I think remains to be seen. But for now, he's going to be, you know, at least until until Sam Zimbabwe gets confirmed and gets going, he's going to be kind of the guy running the show. 
It's interesting. The mayor's done this on a couple appointments recently. The One of the runners-up or one of the finalists for police chief that Carmen Best eventually got after kind of a messy process, the mayor hired him. I, I don't recall his name right off the Cameron bat. Cameron McClay. Yeah, and so he's going to be advising the mayor. And then again with SDOT, one of the people in the consideration for the director, you know, two of them got hired basically. Yeah, and I was at a news conference last week uh, unrelated to the viaduct issue. It was about building a new waterfront park on the downtown waterfront. But Durkin had just announced the appointment of uh, Mike Warden to be this logistics person. And she was asked by reporters, well, wait a second, didn't you just appoint a new uh, tran- or nominate a new transportation director? Why do you need this guy, too, who was the runner up, maybe? And she said, well, her, her line was, this is going to be different because Warden is going to be- coordinate mobility issues, especially during this time of maximum constraint, they call it, you know, when traffic is going to be bad because of a lot of projects downtown. He's going to coordinate across departments. So, yes, he'll he'll talk to the transportation department, but also the city light Seattle public utilities and Seattle police department and Seattle fire department and make sure that sort of everybody knows what everybody else is doing and when there's a problem like a blockage on a certain street or an accident that it gets taken of care of quickly that was that was her argument I think it's interesting I mean that that sort of job is really maybe what people will be judging the mayor on if, if there are problems I think there is a perception sometimes already with so much construction and road closures going on in Seattle that people wonder if there's actually any coordination going on in any plan and if that's uh, even more acute during this shutdown and, and people see that, you know, there's an intersection that's just completely blocked all the time, what's the mayor doing about it? Have you gotten any signals, uh, David, from the city on specific ways that they might try to, you know, manage the, 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 the flow around the city during this period? Yeah, there are some things they're doing. Um, a few months ago, the, the mayor announced a new um, incident response team for Seattle. So if you've been on I-5 or one of the state highways or, or interstates and seen a crash ahead of you, you see those white pickup trucks who zoom in and, and, you know, assuming it's not a horrible crash and nobody's hurt, their job is to get the cars off the road and open up the road again as soon as possible. So the, the sit, there is now a citywide incident response team, which will hopefully, you know, if there are fender benders and crashes blocking the roads, get them cleared sooner. The city will have police officers out enforcing block the box rules to kind, you know, the technical definition of gridlock is, is, you know, blocking the box. And when one block can't move because the other block is totally constricted gridlock doesn't just mean congestion but we're so we're going to have officers out there trying to keep intersections clear the the city has limited the hours that a bunch of these downtown construction projects can can block lanes so right now often they'll they'll take up a lane you know for loading or unloading or for having a cement truck there uh they're going to be limited in the hours that they can do that over the next month or so um basically not during peak hours. So those are some of the things they've got in place. The, you know, the county will have 20 to 30 extra buses available for both uh, kind of south, the south end of the city, West Seattle, Burien area, and for the north end, you know, Aurora, North Aurora coming south into the city. But there's not, you know, there's not a huge amount other. There's not that much else you can do when uh, the viaduct carries 90,000 cars and 30,000 bus commuters a day. And that's a lot of people and that's a lot of cars. And some of them hopefully will will disappear through teleworking or people abandoning trips 
or things like that. But the rest of them are going to have to find someplace to go. And, and last thing, I guess, maybe when when the new normal sets in, I guess, and the, and the tunnel is open and everything's going in and the tolls are applied, is there a big picture? You know, does the city expect maybe this shutdown even to permanently alter some people's work habits? Are they hoping for that or what? What might the new normal look like to the extent that we can know it? That's a good question. Um, Well, the new normal after this three-week period ends is still going to be bad. There are still a lot of mega projects downtown that are going to disrupt traffic. The new convention center is messing things up. Uh, It's going to kick the buses out of the bus tunnel shortly um, in March, I believe, because construction down there combined with light rail means there's no room for the buses. Construction on Key Arena, construction's on downtown, new downtown towers are going to block things up. Yeah, people's commuting habits are going to continue to change. If you live in Inner Bay or Magnolia, the tunnel is not going to be as convenient for you as the viaduct. If you live in West Seattle and take the bus into downtown right now, your bus goes on the viaduct. Your bus will not take the tunnel because the tunnel doesn't have a downtown exit. Uh, So people's habits are going to change um, and getting through downtown Seattle will continue to be a challenge. Okay, we'll be following it, so make sure to stay tuned uh, to cltimes.com for all that coverage in the coming weeks. Thanks a lot, David. Thanks, guys. That's all for episode 98 of The Overcast. Thanks to our guest, David Gutman. Thanks to KNKX for having us in their Seattle studios to record. And if you support the independent locally owned journalism that makes this podcast possible, please visit seattletimes.com backslash support and look at subscription options. You can reach us on Twitter at dbeekman at Jim underscore Bruner. Please make sure to review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next week, have a cloudy day. (laughs) 